Welcome to the Men of Action podcast, where we bring on seven men who originally felt like a zero until they recognized they had a hero inside them to take on that call of responsibility, ownerships. And today, I got a special guest. Today, we got Kyle Cummings in the house. Kyle, how are you doing today? What's up, man? How are you doing? Good to see you, uh, brother. Doing well. It's always a pleasure to see you, especially after we had our Connect call a little while back. And it's yes, good to sir. see you again. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I think it's brave that you're coming on your first podcast, showing your beautiful face, and just ready to take some action today. Yes, sir, man. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, Kyle, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? All right, so I am 48 years old. I am a husband and father, so my wife and I have been married for 20 years now, so in November we celebrated 20 years. I've got uh, three kids. My oldest is 25. I've got a 25-year-old son, a 19-year-old son, and a 17-year-old daughter getting ready to start her last year of high school. So we are on the road to empty nesting, man. (laughs) How's that got to feel? All the kids almost getting out of the house. What's that? I said, how does that feel knowing you got one more kid before you fully kicked them out of the nest? Oh, it's good, man. But, you know, it goes by quick. So not looking forward. My youngest is my daughter, so she's the baby girl and... That one's going to be a tough one on me, but she's off to do big and bigger and better things. So looking forward to it for her. So, and I'm also uh, a Marine vet um, and I just retired from 20 years in the medical sales industry. So I'm kind of in between gigs right now, kind of trying to figure out what God has for me next, but I knew it wasn't that anymore. So. Well, of course, thank you for your service in the military. You know, just thank you for taking on the call of action. Truly one of the highest honors and biggest calls of actions you could do. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So, always got to give that honor words too, especially with people who go and do that sacrifice to, 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 again, take on that call and to do something incredibly noble. Yes, sir. Yeah, kind of, my dad was in the, army vietnam vet we'll get to him but uh (laughs) you know i just kind of felt the felt the call was really kind of wasting my time after high school wasn't a very good student in high school didn't really have any guidance or direction so felt like the thing to do and i'm glad i did man it was an honor serving the country so oh that's awesome so you know in this podcast, we really discuss really, you know, how men who originally weren't taking action in their life have learned to take action and take that step above and now help trying to help other men. So yes, what sir. is the trial that you kind of went through to when you realized that you need to take some more action in your life? Yeah. So, uh, man, pretty much from the beginning of my life was a trial. So, okay. Uh, I listened to, one of your podcasts with Nate Norman, which I'm, I'm doing a, uh, Nate, a 90 day challenge. It's called SRX 90 with Nate and Mike Schiff. They're the leaders. Mm -hmm. There's about 20 guys doing it. And something really stuck out to me in the beginning of that podcast with him. He talks about the gray man, you know, just the lifeless, purposeless, directionless guy. So that was my dad. And he was, you know, he, my, or Nate used an example of a Vietnam vet when they come back from war and just kind of that thousand yard stare and just kind of blank and empty. That was my dad. He was uh, a Vietnam vet and very angry, just very empty, very purposeless, very no direction. And also 
he was an adulterer and addicted uh most of my life he was addicted to pornography and mm-hmm. so i was born into that my mother was abandoned by her dad when she was five and wow. found out that he pretty much had like a whole other family and he was just going back and forth for a while until he just disappeared so you know that in the beginning i mean that just created issues from the beginning um not really sure that my mom ever wanted kids um she definitely didn't want a boy she wanted a girl so you know that kind of too you know going up in this you know family of trouble and then you know difficulties in life and then on top of that yeah i'm doing oh my god yeah it was pretty brutal man and i'm an only child so there was nobody else to take anything out on but me so both of my parents were pretty uh I guess you could say disappointed with life, um, very mm-hmm. negative vibe, uh, and violence. There was a lot of violence, a lot of, uh, anger issues in the house. So that's kind of how my life started, man. Just being isolated, being alone with them all the time. I remember when I was young, I would get in trouble for everything, like every little thing. And their big thing was to just lock me in my room. So I was stuck in my room a lot. Uh, we'd be like in the middle of a baseball game out in the front yard and my parents would just for whatever reason just like get in the house get in your room and i'd be just sitting on my bed staring out the window watching all my friends play you know until it's oh my god yeah it was brutal so um you know those hardships just started very early on in life and then when i was about it was probably, so I've had to dig back through counseling and stuff and kind of figure out where all this stuff came from in my life that led me to where I was Mm -hmm. before I got set free. Um, but around fourth grade, things started really shifting for me. So I was, uh, sexually abused by an older neighborhood kid and he was a big kid, a lot bigger than me. I was pretty small back in the day. I'm not anymore, (laughs) but growing up until a certain age, I was always one of the smaller kids and just an easy target for bullies and people to pick on. And mm-hmm. that's one thing that happened to me. It happened on three different occasions. Um, and then around about the same time between, this is all like between 10 years old and 12 years old, I okay. found my dad's VHS porn collection. Oh, geez. Yeah. And so, man, when they were gone, and I didn't, I mean, obviously at that age, I didn't even know what sex was. I didn't know anything, yeah. sexuality, nothing. But curiosity, you know, I found these tapes. I'm like, I'm going to go stick this in the VCR and see what it is. And it's hardcore porn. And I got into watching that stuff for hours upon hours. Every time my parents were gone from the house, that's what I did. I just kind of, I was always alone anyway, always just kind of stuck inside and watching tv so i'm like i just you know i became addicted to that at such an early age before i even knew what anything was so that that really set my course my life on a on a course that was just really uncontrollable from the beginning and uh probably i think it was in seventh grade so in seventh grade i had to start so for three years all that went on um And then in seventh grade, I had to ride the bus to school from my neighborhood. We had a little corner stop where the bus picked us up and took us to school. And then I started getting bullied by a kid that was like a full grown 
dude, he was a man by the time he was in seventh grade, you know, probably, he was probably mm-hmm. five, nine. I don't know how tall right. he was to me. He was a full grown man. Well, of course, it's supposed to feel like a foot shorter or something like that. And you see something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he, every single day he would just humiliate me on the bus. And, uh, I mean, he just tormented me every single day of that year. And the same year. So it it was a rough year all the way around that year in seventh grade. So that really started kind of the whole downfall with like grades and checking out of school and getting in trouble and all that type of stuff. Um, I met a little girl and I was just as happy as could be like, you know, that was like a break for me, like away from my parents, away from him. I would just go in my room. I'd talk on the phone with her for all hours. Uh, and then my parents found out about her and made me break up with her because my parents were also racist. That's a hard thing to say, (laughs) but man, and you know, she wasn't the type that they would want me to date and they made me break up with her. So I got super angry. And at the end of my seventh grade year, I ended up throwing a book at a teacher because I just, I so bad wanted to find a way to escape my reality that I was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to find a way to get booted out of this school so I can get away from this bully, get away from the girl that my parents forced me to break up with and just like, out of sight, out of mind type of thing, I guess. I mean, I guess that's what was going through my 12 or 13 year old brain at the time. But yeah, man. So I ended up doing that and getting kicked out of public school, um, transferred to a private school and another bully. (laughs) So it just seemed like for a few years from seventh through ninth grade, I just, I couldn't get away from it. And just all this stuff started compiling one on top of the other with the pornography, the mm-hmm. getting beat at home. So anytime I got in trouble anywhere at school or where, no matter where it was in the neighborhood, whatever it was, I would come home and get beat for that too. So anytime I got in trouble at school, it was like double at home and not pretty, like just, I'm going to give you a couple of licks or whatever. It was like truly child abuse. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, anytime you leave a mark or anything like that, I mean, did anyone in the school like see any bruising or anything or? No, man, that's, that's what's so crazy. Like my wife works in the schools now. She's a secretary at the high school here in town. And she has such an impact with troubled kids. You know, she's always, she just sees the signs in them. And maybe just because she's been married to me for 20 years, I'm not sure. She comes from a life full of trauma too. So she's just really good at identifying that stuff and like reaching out to those kids. Like, Hey, what's going on, man? You know, you see, you've been missing school. You've been coming in late. You've been getting in trouble. Like she just slows them down and talks to them. And I so wish back in the day that I would have had an adult do that for me. But no, I mean, there was, there was nothing. I mean, and every time I would, I would bring stuff up to my parents. I mean, I threatened them a million times i'm gonna call cps on you <laughs> at one point i think i was in probably eighth or ninth grade i wanted to do something and i got in a fight with my parents about it and my dad got violent with me and i pulled a gun on him like oh. i mean it was just crazy man. <laughs> my whole life was just stuff like that just one thing after another uh until I got into alcohol. So my, my sophomore year, I ended up going back to a public school 
and ended up getting drunk for the first time. So I was 15, almost 16 years old at a party right before school started with the kid. He actually took me to the party, the kid that had sexually abused me years earlier. Oh my God. So yeah, man, the first time I drank alcohol, I drank beer with him and his, and it just seems like that just kind of set my world on fire. (laughs) Well, did the kid do anything to you since he took you to the party? I mean, and you're with, you're abusing. No, it's like it was never spoken of again. You know, um, it's weird. I just, I so it, he you kept it always rules, like you're not going to talk about anything or what's that? that? So it was like one of those like unspoken rules, like nothing happened. We're not going to talk about anything. We're just going to go to this party and yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I had always looked up to the guy. Um, he was a bigger kid, athlete. You know, played football and baseball and all that stuff and. Okay. He was always somebody I looked up to regardless. I just, I really didn't realize until much later in life that that even happened in the first place. Like I had put it out of my mind. So my sophomore year, I had no idea. I wasn't thinking about that when I went to the party with him. I was just like, hey man, this kid is inviting me to a party. I'm going to go. I just, you know, okay. wanted to be cool. Wanted to go hang out with the cool kids. And so I went to this party and that that started my, my drinking. Um, so that went on for many years of my life. So started in 15 and by 17, man, I was a raging alcoholic. Um, it was a very strange deal because at that point, my parents just gave up. I think like the punishment was over by the time. I don't, I don't remember what age my dad last put a hand on me, but at some point it just ended. It was so weird. It was like this strict, every infraction you get beat for my whole life and then all of a sudden it just stopped and then I would come home wasted I mean I was 17 years old coming home at four o'clock in the morning my parents wouldn't even ask me where I was at and like park my truck in the front yard park my truck in the middle of the street yeah I don't know how I survived man it's mere God is the only reason I survived a hundred percent but yeah so that was it man through high school I started uh working at nightclubs. I was a bouncer at a nightclub because I loved to fight. Like I mentioned, I was pretty small. Well, my yeah, sophomore I got year, what's that? I said, yeah, I know it's, it's kind of to be a bouncer. You got to be a big dude. Yeah. So my sophomore year, I, I probably went in about five, nine, I don't even know, 150 pounds, something like that. Yeah. By the end of the year, I was six two, like 210. I mean, oh, wow. my sophomore year. And when that happened, I made a vow, like no one's ever messing with me again. And I kind of just became a fighter, man. I just took it to people. If I mean, for anything, if people, if I felt threatened in the least bit, I would fight. Um, So I kind of created this macho bravado. I really wasn't, you know, I was really just a broken, sad, lonely, depressed, anxious little kid. Yeah that didn't know what to do with all these things that had happened to me in my life. Didn't know what to do with the emotions. Didn't know what to do with the rejection, any of that stuff. So I just kind of created like a, a persona a bravado or whatever you want to call it. So I just, uh, I became the fighter. I mean, that's what I was known as. And that led me into the Marine Corps. (laughs) So yeah, man, I was just, I was doing nothing. I was just partying and, hanging out and 
every day, just wasting my life away. I went to junior college for like maybe half a semester and ended up mm -hmm. dropping out and just joined the Marines and thought that would get my life on track and everything just quadrupled <laughs> in the Marine Corps. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much you know about the Marines, but it's pretty high. Right I just know that one of the toughest bunch and the, the first to go in. Oh, it is. And they treat you like it, man. I mean, that's their sole job from the first day of boot camp is to break you down and yeah, tear everything about you down to the ground, which I was pretty torn to the ground in the first place. Um, so it helped me from a discipline standpoint, but everything else to deal with the stress and anxiety and all that stuff that my life already was. And then you add all the Marine Corps stuff on top of it. I was a freaking mess, dude. I mean, every chance I got, I was wasted. And we're talking like blackout drunk, like crazy stuff. <laughs> one of the military being so with the Marines being so strict, how'd you survive with getting blackout drunk whenever you had the opportunity, let's say, especially with how early mornings and drills upon drills. And I, I know a few people who had a few problems like with drinking the military, even had a few people would step in and say, we got to get this under control. Yeah. So my platoon was pretty rough. Like everybody was pretty crazy. Um, okay. Everybody was an alcoholic. It really wasn't an issue. I mean, you would think oh. it would be. Yeah. Um, but we just kind of, we kind of did whatever we wanted. I mean, and, and we were out training a lot out in the field a lot. So when we went out, we tied it on, man. So <laughs> I think my first two years, we stayed out in the field Monday through Thursday, and we would come back Thursday evening, put our weapons in the armory, and then go sleep. And then Friday morning, we would clean our weapons and be off until Monday morning. So that gave us a few days every week to go party, and that's what we did, man. We just went nuts. We'd go to Tijuana a lot. I mean, we went on weekdays, too, when we weren't out in the field, which is insane. I remember a few times going out getting back at like five o'clock in the morning and we had five thirty formation and a three or six mile run. I mean, it was nuts. <laughs> I'm not really sure how we, any of us survived it, but we did. Being young and just body gets used to doing it, I guess. I, I, yeah, I guess so. It would destroy me now, man. I couldn't drink two beers now, but anyway, so yeah, that, uh, that all went on. I ended up getting married in the Marines, which the, the famous saying in the Marines is if the Marine Corps wanted you to have a wife, they would issue you one. And there's not a truer statement in the world. The divorce rate in the Marines is probably 98%. I mean, it's crazy because okay. you're just gone all the time. You never know yeah. when you're going to leave. They could just be like, Hey, go home, pack your crap, get back in two hours. We're leaving. We're going to be gone for a month. Um, and it was like that a lot. So it was not conducive to marriage. Uh, nevertheless, I ended up getting her pregnant. I know exactly the day that it was, it was one day before I left on deployment. And so found out while I was on deployment that she right. through a letter that probably took four months to get to me in the Gulf somewhere. <laughs> so then I had that to contend with, you know, not only was the Marines hard, but now I got a wife that we weren't even getting along. It was crazy. It was like, this is going to be in my mind this last time was going to be our last hurrah. I was shipping her back home and I was yeah. done with her. <laughs> oh, but I found out that, you know, I had a kid. So 
I, uh, man, that's a whole other story. But anyway, she wanted to, she wanted to have an abortion and I refused. I I wouldn't do it, man. That's just, I don't know where that came from in me, but that's just one thing that I was like, that can't happen. You know what I mean? I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not that person. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to be a part of that. So we had him and we raised him. He's 25 and doing good now, but man, it was a challenge for a lot of years. So, uh, getting out of the Marines, I pretty much was that gray man. And then I became my dad. I was a gray, angry man that was an alcoholic. I really didn't have a porn addiction. It was strange. Like I did all that stuff when I was younger, but really (laughs) didn't do much of it really any other part of my life. I mean, it's not like I never viewed it again, but it was, right. I never had an addiction to it. I think I just wasn't like you're in front of the TV or a laptop for like hours upon hours. What's that? So it wasn't like you're on like a TV or a laptop right. for hours and hours like you were when you were a kid. Yeah, just really. I mean, at some point, I guess my dad threw all his stuff away, really never had access to it again and didn't really think about it much any, okay. anymore. I mean, it was around in the military, obviously, all the time, but just yeah. never really had a, I just didn't care about it. Um, I think that's just something that caught me at an early age when I was going through a lot. And for whatever reason, that became a comfort to me. And it was a very strange deal. But anyway, uh, so I get out of the Marines, not happy with my wife, have a kid life is a wreck looking at, you know, minimum wage jobs. Cause I didn't have any skills. I was in the infantry. So it's not like you do a whole lot, you know, I mean, you train to kill people. You don't, I didn't do nothing with computers or technology or engineering. I mean, nothing that was translatable to the real world. So got it. I pretty much just was, uh, I was going to be a firefighter. So I took the, the firefighter Academy test and with the veterans mm-hmm. preference, choice points I was number one in the recruiting class and wow. ended up getting the DWI <laughs> oh geez so, yeah man that derailed that derailed that so it was just like one thing after another throughout my whole life so ended up in school after that and got a marketing business degree and a cousin one of my cousins is a in medical sales and I went to his wedding and him and all his friends looked like they had pretty good lives. And I was like, man, I'm going to do that. Not knowing, is that really my personality? Do I have a purpose for that? Right. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. I was like, man, I got. How can I make money to see my family and to keep a roof over my head? Yeah, exactly. So it kind of just was forced into doing whatever I had to do to make things work at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, shortly after that all transpired i ended up getting divorced so um we split up and i moved out shortly i don't i don't know how long it was after i moved out anyway met my wife now of 20 years and she man she's a blessing from god she's a godly woman she has been following God since she was eight years old, saved when she was eight. And she is like every step, every word that comes out of her mouth is Jesus. What would Jesus do? What I mean, that's all my kids will come to her and ask her questions. 
And yeah. never mind, mom, I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> She's just been that way, man. And her only vice in her life ever was smoking cigarettes. So we met wow. at a job where my manager, um, so she, she was living in a different town and coming in on the weekends to the mm -hmm. town I lived in to help this church from her town start a plant a new church in my town and the pastor's nephew was my boss so the pastor's nephew hired her to work where i was working at a retail i was in retail sales at the time trying to get sales experience to go into medical sales mm -hmm. and she started there and that's how we met so we just became friends and we would sit out in my truck she would meet me at work early and we would sit out in my truck and smoke cigarettes and just talk about life man and I had so many breakthroughs with her that like, I just, I started seeing things about trauma and what was going on in my head and that she had kind of lived the same thing. So we just had a lot of stuff in common. We both just came from crappy families and had a lot of generational curses and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so she reintroduced me back to church and back to God. And so I got say, you know, I rededicated my life to God, started going to church with her, but I just never really shook off all the stuff that had happened to me. Cause I still, I, I feel like I lived dissociated so long. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even know when that started and when it stopped. It's, it's a weird deal, man. Like almost like out of body experiences a lot, like almost like living your whole existence in an out of body experience. The only other way I know how to describe it is like, even when I was in bars and all that stuff back in the day, like I felt like I was a social person. I really wasn't. I was really a trauma filled person that was just trying to drink away my anxieties right. and pain and depression and all that stuff. So, but I always wanted to be around people. I didn't, I hated being alone probably because I'm an only child. And when I was alone, not good stuff happened. So I just always wanted to be around action and be around people. And yeah. I would go to bars all the time. I mean, I spent, half my life in bars at this point but i always I, I was always there in the midst of people but i never felt like i was in the midst of people it was like i had a glass like container around me or like glass wall and it was like i could see everything going on i could see all these people laughing and having fun and i was just miserable man oh, i was sure. so i was there i was partaking but i wasn't really there if that makes sense no, it so, makes it makes a lot of sense. Like you're part of the crowd, but you're not part of the crowd. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's just one of those things that you see people who struggle with, like being around people. Like you want to be a part of a group so bad, like you'll do whatever it takes to be part of that group. But there's not, but there's this barrier from you developing like an emotional connection to the group. Man, hundred percent. I've never heard it that way, but that's that's it. Probably yeah. your background, you could tell me more. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> yeah. I having a good background in that kind of stuff. I need some. I need you to psychoanalyze me, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, dude. I mean, community is what I was missing for so long, and like that, the band of brothers from the Marine Corps. Like when I got out, it was just gone. It's like yeah. one day you're surrounded by seventy dudes all the time. And then it's just like, your day comes, you're out. I'm back home. I'm back to being the only child. All my friends were gone. Yeah. And none of them would really hang out with me anymore anyway, because I was so crazy 
like through high school and after high school before I joined, before I actually went to the Marines. Sure. That, you know, all their girlfriends and wives and stuff are like, Oh no, he's back. You ain't hanging out with him. <laughs> well, cause it, it's well, hard because someone's like last perception of you is when they last saw you. Yeah. True. So even if you did, let's say did this huge transformation, the military got your life, let's say completely 100% did a 180. Their last thought of you is the last time they saw you, especially if they knew you as this crazy kid who threw a book at a teacher and everything else in the works. Yeah. Oh so. man. There's a whole lot more of that stuff too. I mean, it was just, oh, I was sure. just a crazy dude. I mean, I was just so messed up in the head. I didn't really have any compass, you know? And so yeah. I just was, I was just nuts. Um, but yeah, so I just, I came back and just isolated alone. Um, not really any kind of group or community, no friends. Didn't, when I started going to church with her, I didn't really fit in with the guys at church. And so it's just been this whole journey of, I've done it alone for a long time now, you know, I'm, I'm starting to break that cycle, like taking part in this, this SRX 90 challenge with Nate and Mike is, is a huge step for me to, that's what I'm doing now. So I've, I've, I've been set free from all of this stuff and now I'm trying to build community. So I found you through, I think Nate's one of Nate's yeah. following Nate, or I found Nate from following you. I'm not really sure which happened first, but man, these guys are top notch, dude. They're so awesome. Uh, developing friendships at church now like Good. i'm just a totally different mindset than i've ever had you know and i think at one point in my life i probably made a vow which you know vows besides wedding vows are pretty dangerous um yeah. you know the bible warns you not to make vows and I'm, I'm pretty sure i made a vow that i was alone in life and i can do this on my own mm-hmm. and pretty much just felt like i was always going to be alone Besides my wife, you know, but a lot of times that's not enough. Like we have an awesome relationship um, now. I mean, we've, we've been through it, but I just really haven't had like brothers. I haven't had that kind of community that the accountability and the stuff that would keep me on track or connections that, Hey man, I'm struggling with this. Hey, go talk to so-and-so they've been through that. You know what I mean? So now I feel like that's my calling. Like, I've, I've been through a lot. I've got a lot to my story of trauma. I mean, trauma around every single turn. And I have a passion for that. I have a passion for helping vets like, and vets go through a lot of trauma. You know, they've got a, a lot of issues out there and (laughs) not just mental, you got physical, you got spiritual. I mean, everything. I mean, they've seen the worst of people and then they have to go through a lot of you know, whether it's PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Or they have to go through like the VA and sometimes it can take a while for them to get medical. I've heard a lot of times, um, I know the VA does its best it can do, but sometimes there's so many people who just have a lot of physical harm from getting wounded in war, getting wounded in training or anything above. Yeah, it's rough, man. I'm actually, I'm a disabled vet myself and it okay. uh, it takes time to get care. It's, I feel horrible for, especially the older guys, you know, Vietnam vets and older, it's, it's rough. And I think, I think in some sense, all, everybody that serves in the military kind of feels that loneliness when they get out and feels that isolation and feels 
like they were forgotten, kind of left behind. Um, I think that's a common struggle for vets. I know in the Marine Corps it is for sure. And combat vets, I'm not a combat vet. I can't even imagine how combat vets feel. I was injured in a training training accident that jacked up my back. And so I've got three levels of my spine fused, both hips replaced. I've had a knee, my right knee scope since I got out. This is all stuff that's gone on for the last few years. So, oh my gosh, yeah, beat up, but man, this this challenge is is helping me physically. Uh, this last year, I went through a struggle with nerve pain. I don't know what was causing it. Just couldn't hardly get out of bed, man. It was like every other week I'd start to feel good, and then I'd just go mm-hmm. down again, feel good, go down again, and this challenge requires me to do a lot. So we have to work out 45 minutes a day and then take 7,000 steps a day. It's like wow. a, it's like a 75 hard, but it's got a community component to it, which a lot of challenges don't, you know, you're out there on your yeah. own, no one to lean on. Uh, and then a spiritual component, which is huge, man. We're, we're spending an hour a day and an hour of solitude a day with God. And that was really a big thing. My two biggest things were I want to continue to grow spiritually and I want to develop community. So for me, that's perfect. <laughs> so do you guys meet up like once a week just to review the results of like how the week go or? Uh, we're, we're all connected on Telegram into a chat. Okay. So we, we chat. Always find some type of communication then. Yeah. Yeah. And then once a week on Friday, we'll do a Zoom call. And that's where we'll talk about a pillar. Um, so it could be a physical challenge. Like the first time we had a plank challenge this week, yeah. we have a spiritual challenge. So we're having to either, there's a few things you can pick from, like reach out to your pastor, ask him how you can, how you can help, you know, just be of assistance to him, or you can lead your family in a Bible study or prayer every night. It's just really cool, personal growth stuff. That's, you know, rooted in God, which is the most important thing. So it's awesome. But anyway, back to kind of what I had been through. So all of this stuff culminated about four years ago when I had to confront my wife. <laughs> I had to come home and talk to my wife and share with her what I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing. So essentially I ended up becoming my father's son and I was unfaithful in my marriage um, and had to come home and own up to that. And man, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, It was, it was rough, but you know, just taking accountability, taking ownership. So for years I had gone through like shame cycles, you know, just through addiction. I mean, it's, you know, you get your fix And then you start feeling guilty about it. You start feeling shame about it. And then that kind of wears off a little bit down the road. And it's just like rinse and repeat. Right. And I just did that throughout my whole life with everything. I mean, I did it with starting with cigarettes, then it was alcohol, then it was sex, then it was cocaine. And I mean, pretty much everything you can list. Fortunately for me, I never got hooked on heroin or death. Um, and I was able to get off of everything fairly easily when I, you know, kind of put my mind to it. But yeah. 
so yeah, that that was one of the things that I think stemmed from the sexual abuse and from the pornography at an early age. I mean, you just don't you you cannot view pornography and have a healthy view of sex. Period. And oh, out of doubt. Nope. That's another part of this challenge that I love, man. The two, the first two pillars: no, no porn and no masturbation. I mean, that's that's huge. I, I mean, and I think that's for everybody every day should be yeah. living that way because that stuff is so destructive. And I have no doubt that just those early things that happened to me in life led that led me down that path. I'm not proud of it, man. It's the most shameful thing in my life, but I can't hold on to it. Like I confronted it at that point and I have a pat our pastor at church had a very rough life, a lot of trauma. Oh. And a lot of a lot of the same issues. He didn't have the sexual issues that I had, but he had a lot of the trauma growing up that I had. So he's been able to kind of mentor me through the whole process of just getting through everything that I had to confront and getting back on, getting back right with God, getting back right with my wife and my family and all yeah. that stuff. So man, it's been it's been awesome. Uh and counseling. Like God has put everyone who needed into your life into your life. What's that? I said, it seems like God has put everyone in your life who needed to be in your life. Oh, a hundred percent. Especially like her. Life one against trauma, a pastor that truly understands trauma, not just from like maybe books they read or just people that they work with, from, but from personal experience. I mean, that's something they can't take away. Yeah, a hundred percent. Oh, yeah. He's so, and he's so vulnerable. Like he doesn't just tell me this stuff about his life yesterday he did a sermon on forgiving he's been on a forgiveness sermon for a good while now um okay. his last message on his forgiveness was forgiving yourself and that is that that's like the pivotal thing that helped kind of springboard change in my life was when i finally got through feeling the shame the remorse the guilt like it happened i did it I'm not proud of the man that I was. I'm not proud of who I became, but I, I owned up to it and I was accountable. I started making changes and I didn't just start making mental changes. I started making physical changes about four years ago with my whole family. Mm -hmm. So this was like bottom of the barrel thing for me that led to huge blessings that are pouring out into my kids as well. Like we're all in the gym. My kids have joined this challenge with us. My wife is doing this challenge with us. Oh, so cool. We're not doing all the communicating on the side and all right. that good stuff, but they're following all the tenants, man. And it's so awesome. My 19 year old son is doing it. He's never, he's the most pure person in the world. He's never, you know, if a girl, if an inappropriately dressed girl comes on TV, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome to see, you know, and that's, it's admirable. You don't, you don't hear about that too much now. Yeah. And I, you know, unfortunately I can't take a ton of credit for that. <laughs> he takes after his mama, thank goodness. <laughs> but man, it's been great. And uh, just a lot of counseling, a lot of digging back into my past, trying to figure out the root cause of all this stuff that happened in my life and, mm -hmm. and just getting rid of it, getting free from it. Yeah. And, you know, that's how I got to the point that I know it was around fourth grade because I remember getting in huge trouble in fourth grade because I made a first C on my report card. My mom is a teacher and she worked at the school that I went to and she like came down and grabbed me by the ear and dragged me out of class. She was so pissed. Man. <laughs> 
And I remember, I mean, I look back on that and I was like, that's the time frame. That's when everything, that's when the anger started. That's when the lashing out at people started. That's when my grades started dropping. And so I just kind of started putting these puzzle pieces together and started one and one thing at a time, started getting free, man. Re rededicated my life to God and just, dude, ever for the last few years, everything has been awesome. I mean, sure. 20 well, years of my life recently. What's that? So, well, that's what happens when, you know, one person starts to take a little bit of ownership, accountability and action to life. And I love the key word you just said, started one thing at a time and a little bit at a time. That's what's key. What were you going to say? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. The one thing at a time, I, you know, and I think, I don't, I'm sure it's probably God. Like he brings things he brought things to my memory a little at a time because yeah. there's no way that I could have handled 20 plus years, 30 plus years of trauma right. all at one time. I'm sure things had to start kind of chronologically and just, okay, this happened. This probably caused this. Okay. Then this happened. This probably caused this and just step by step right. all the way through. But now man, just living good, living free, Blessed by God, man, my, my wife, the craziest thing about the whole thing is my wife has never held one thing against me. Obviously we've held, we've had struggles and it wasn't easy. Sure. We had to put things in place, accountability, that type of stuff. But man, as she was spending time with God, trying to mend her broken heart, he started showing her things about her life in areas where she was having pride about something or whatever. I'm like, dude, this is insane. <laughs> God is crazy, man. Like I'm the one that has done all this stuff and she's spending time with God trying to get her heart healed. And he's showing her things that she can change in her life. And so we both really just took action, man. We just started hammering at it. And dude, today is like, we were just married yesterday. It's nuts. It's awesome. And we're like that's newly a good relationship. relationship. That should be a Hallmark movie. If they want to make. What's that? So that that should be a Hallmark movie. I don't know if much of my life could fit in a Hallmark movie, brother. But... Well, just the story of it. You know, two people complimenting each other, working on each other, and then that's working it. on themselves for their relationship, keeping it first like that. Like that love at first sight, like you're always just like, like you really fell in love for the first time again. Yeah. You're just so grateful for that opportunity to have it. And then how hard you've worked to achieve it. Yeah. If you didn't do anything, I mean, it would be horrible. But the fact that oh, you took action and accountability and took in the steps that you needed to take to honor your wife. I mean, that's just insane, man. Yeah. Dude, it is. It's crazy. Um, I don't even know how to explain it, man. I'm, I'm lucky. And I, and I truly believe that God placed her. I believe she's the only person on earth that could do what she did for as many years as she did living with me. And it's not, I mean, I was, I've always been in love with her. I love her. I always have. It was just, I had these hangups and I really wasn't sure what was causing even the desire to step out or, you know, it wasn't even emotional affairs. It was like a fix, you know, 
it was like a drug fix pretty much. I mean, that, that became my drug after all other vices were gone. And I had the pastor, when we were going through counseling, he told me, you know, he's like, Satan will be 100% happy to trade you one addiction for another, as long as he can keep you in bondage. Yeah. I've never, I mean, that's the most true statement I've ever heard. <laughs> you can well, pass him yeah. off one thing, but he'll hand you back another. <laughs> You know, I just saw this today, and I've seen this before a handful of times, but Denzel Washington, who's one of my favorite actors, and he's obviously a very spiritual person, too. He said this, if the devil is leaving you alone, you're probably not doing something right. The devil comes to mess with you when you're doing something right. 100%, man. So, especially when you keep you in that bondage where you begin to self-sabotage yourself. And get really hard on yourself and you kind of become your worst and you you become the enemy really so he doesn't have to do anything yeah so. and the first thing he does when you doing something that goes along with shame is isolation and that's why it's so easy to stay in that secret stuff you know the stuff that's going on in your head that leads you to open up your computer and view porn or whatever it's all it's all a coping mechanism for something that you're missing in your life and you're just not filling it with Jesus. You know, that's all it is, man. Now I just go to Jesus. That's what's so awesome about this hour. And everything else for me is, you know, the physical part now, because I've been working out for three years with my family. Isn't that big of a deal to work out 45 minutes a day? I'm already doing that anyway. But right. I think we have, we have to do 7,000 steps. That's really it was a challenge for, it would have been a challenge for me a few months ago when I couldn't get out of bed, but sure. I mean, it was like instant healing right before this stuff started. Like just one day I didn't struggle with pain anymore. <laughs> so I'm able to keep up with all that stuff. The nerves in the back or just in the yeah. body. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Just something got out of whack, I guess. I'm not really sure, but it was a struggle for eight or nine months. It was not fun. But dude, now just feeling set free, moving my body physically every day, just doing good things, connecting every day, being intentional about all of it. You know, uh, yeah. I had the crazy thing is, too, I had just got I was on Twitter a long time ago. I had just gotten back on it and it almost instantly connected with you, connected with Nate, now connected with Mike and all, all 20 guys that are in this challenge. So just building that community that. I can lean on from now on and what you guys yeah, are doing is so awesome. And I thought you were the one of the bravest people I've had come on because you DM me, didn't have a profile. And all of a sudden I get this fun person who says, Hey, I want to tell my story. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like I didn't, I saw you send me a DM probably like a hand, maybe a day later or something like that. I'm like, okay. So I was really busy at work. I didn't have time to read it all. Yeah. And I did like, I got to bring this guy on. Like, I don't know his profile. I don't know what's going on here, but I got to connect with this guy. <laughs> Loved your story when we connected and then just finding out so much more about you through this podcast. And you know, to really wrap things up is like, what is one thing, a statement, a phrase, a word that you want to leave off with someone today to give them that light, that encouragement to start taking action in their life? Hmm. That's a good question, man. Don't do it alone. Mm. Don't do life alone. Do it with God. 
do it with people, do it with community, find your people that, that, that would have saved me years of just doing crappy stuff and being a crappy person, man, you know, hold yourself accountable and hold yourself accountable to God, first of all. Uh, but find, find a group, find a community to connect with. I never knew the value of that because I always felt like, you know, I'm just a lone soldier. I can do this. I'm a tough guy. I can handle it. But dude, I, nobody is a match against the enemy and his devices. <laughs> and he took me out multiple times. So that's what I would say, brother. Hey, I love it. And you know what? You're definitely a man of actions. All your socials will be in the description below. And we're going to do a special shout out to Nate Norman and Mike Schiff. Because yes, they help you so much. So let's get them some followings. Let's get them some praise. Because I know they've also had to work really hard on their own lives to to now lead. And to you know to be a leader, you have to go through this stuff. So but you know what you're talking about. And then have that practice intentionality to be a man of action. So Kyle, welcome to the Man of Action Squad. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Glad to be in it. <laughs> So remember, you guys too can take action. Just remember, like Kyle taught us today, so a little bit at a time, don't go in alone. Find your child, find your community, and go out there with the best attitude, knowing that you can improve your life. You can be a man of action. So let's go. Check you guys out in the next video.